Welcome back. This is Jesse, creator and host of Hack My Business. Thanks so much for listening and supporting the show. As we get ready for season six, which will be coming out later this spring, we thought that we would spend the next few weeks on a special bonus series. We will be revisiting some of our favorite episodes with some amazing women CEOs. There has been an incredible rise in the number of first-time women business owners, and we want to make sure that you get a chance to hear directly from founders who have been there and done that with their own businesses. I hope you enjoy it, and let us know if you have any ideas for future episodes by reaching me at jesse at smallbusinessfront.com. Thanks again for listening. The framework consists of seven elements, and that first element is all about defining what work needs to be performed. And the reason I take people through that exercise is because that exercise ultimately provides the foundation for how you create the other elements of your business infrastructure. In a perfect world, if you had access to all of the resources that you could possibly have, who ideally should perform these different tasks? And once you do that, you now have the basis for creating very succinct job descriptions that are a lot more transparent and a lot more robust. It's no secret that the coronavirus is affecting all of us as individuals, but the effect it's having on business, especially small business, is unprecedented. We need a game plan, and fast. If we're going to survive this, we need resources and we need each other. We can't do it alone. I'm Jesse Torres, and this is Hack My Business. With my background in economic and workforce development, disaster preparedness, and general business strategy, I know I can help you navigate this scary time in your business and beyond. It's all about resiliency. I'll have the most current solutions and best practices available so we can ensure your business not only survives this crisis, but thrives. We'll also be keeping you informed about the latest resources for small business so that you don't miss a thing. Co-hosting with me will be my colleague, Sid Farakura. We'll have invited experts to help us navigate through the current noisy landscape of resources and programs that are being made available today and who will be able to prepare us for tomorrow. Let's do this together. I'm Jesse Torres, and this is Hack My Business. Welcome back, everybody. This is Jesse Torres, host of Hack My Business, and it's great to be with you again. I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Sid Varakra. How you doing, man? How you doing today? Hey, Jesse. I'm, I'm well. I uh, feel like I haven't, we haven't talked in a long time, and so it's fun to, to, to be back in the saddle uh, and, and engaging with you on this. Absolutely, man. Definitely now is a great time to plan ahead, to organize for the future in a real sophisticated, concrete kind of way. And that's why I'm really excited today to be joined by our special guest, Alicia Butler-Pierre, who is the uh, founder CEO of her own firm, Equilibria, who is an organization expert and also a just a amazing podcast personality host, has her own show. Alicia, we're so happy to have you on Hack My Business. Welcome. Thank you so much, Jesse. Hey, Sid. Hey, Alicia. <laughs> now, it, it'd be uh, strange maybe not to mention the other guests we have with us in the room today. Do you want to make a quick mention? Sure, sure. This is Amber, and she's a baby doll, a very lifelike baby doll. And we were just having some fun before we, we started recording here. I, I mentioned that I have a creepy baby doll in my house, and Jesse suggested that I bring her on camera, so... So I have Amber here with me. <laughs> okay, well, welcome, Amber. And we'll get into that, exactly why, at least you know, we both share a fondness for the things that are creepy. And uh, uh, trust me, it does relate to business matters and specifically to business travel. But we'll, we'll get to that because uh, when I was on Alicia's podcast, we didn't get time to talk about some of the more interesting I guess, kind of creepiness of business travel, but we'll definitely get to that today. But Alicia, you know, thank you. Thank you so much for, for joining us. We definitely want to really begin by talking about your journey as an entrepreneur. And, you know, we know from your background, your bio, which by the way, you have this amazing professional experience and definitely you are the smartest person in the room here today because of the fact that you've worked in process engineering, you have a, a very exciting background as a chemical engineer, and we definitely want to get into that. You know, in your background, we see that really, it seems like your entrepreneurial journey began in 2005, when you had this, what you call a hunch to, to leave New Orleans, to start something new. And so we want to dig into that. What was that hunch exactly? And what led you to start your own business? I've always dabbled in different little side hustles. When I was growing up, I can remember one of the very first 
entrepreneurial ventures that I had was when I was about seven years old. And the, the place that I would go to, I guess, would be considered aftercare. Once school was over, I somehow managed or convinced the people who owned the, the that establishment if I could just sweep the driveway and do some really basic light chores around the building. And I think I was paid maybe $7. But with that, my dad helped open up a bank account for me. And I actually have that bank account to this very day. But I've always dabbled in different things. But you're right. Right in 2005, actually 2004, I was still living in New Orleans. And, you know, I I know everyone knows by now that... (laughs) Because it's in the Gulf Coast region, it's prone to hurricanes and tropical storms. And that particular year was no exception. It was around late August, early September of 2004, and a tropical storm moved through the city. And I remember asking my boss at the time if I could go home and continue working from home that particular morning. And she said, yes, you know, I think you're exaggerating, Alicia, but sure, go ahead and finish working from home. And to make a long story short, I remember getting home and the waters just started rising. And, and you know, if you've never been in a situation where once water covers a street, it has nowhere else to go but up and it rises really quickly. I was scared to death. I lived alone at the time. I wasn't married. And I'll never forget having this feeling that I needed to get out. And I said, if I survive this, I have to leave this city. I have to leave the entire state. And so shortly after the waters subsided, I abruptly quit my job a few weeks later. I was working as a chemical engineer, as you mentioned. And I I happened to be going to business school at night during that time. So I I finished school that December, so that was December 2004. The following January in 2005, I put my house up for sale. It sold that same week, and I relocated to a city where I knew one person, and that is Atlanta, Georgia. And I came here, honestly, Sid and Jesse, because I saw this as a land of milk and honey. I, I came here looking for a job, and in comparison to New Orleans, Atlanta had all of the, these Fortune 500 companies that have a presence here. It's the, the home of Coca-Cola and Home Depot, Delta Airlines, UPS, Chick-fil-A, to name, to name some of the companies that are headquartered here. So I came here really thinking I was going to get a job. I had this engineering background. I just finished up my MBA. Who wouldn't hire me, Right. Well, it did not happen that way. <laughs> that was right around the time, honestly, where when everything was 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 shifting to online. So you'd fill out these job applications and they were so intense, so onerous. And honestly, it felt like things were just going into a black hole. And so after about two months of what seemed to be endless, fruitless job searching and filling out these job applications, I decided you know what, for the same amount of time, effort, and energy that I'm spending looking to work for someone else, I could redirect that same time, effort, and energy into creating an opportunity for myself. And that's how it came about, my my true entrepreneurship journey. I I love you sharing that that story because, you know, often what Sid and I are always trying to distill in these interviews that we do is, what was that moment? You know, what was the moment that made you decide to take the leap and especially right now where, you know, we've all gone through this kind of mutual crisis, right? And where you are seeing this huge number of uptake of people starting their own businesses for the first time, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, people need to be reminded that often a crisis presents an opportunity to to do something new, right? And I, I love the fact that you, you went to a place where you really didn't know many people, right? But still took that big leap. And, you know, I think for folks who are really, really trying to figure out, okay, when is the perfect moment to start entrepreneurship? Well, the reality is that, there really isn't going to be this amazing, perfect moment. It's really a gut instinct, right? So I just really appreciate you sharing that. You know, Alicia, let's talk about your business that you launched. It's Equilibria, Inc., if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yes, yes. And and it started out as an organizational company. Why organization? And then can you just share with us how it evolved into the, into the operations management firm that it is today? Sure. And thank you so much for asking that question, Sid. 
So when I was in the midst of that two month period trying to look for all of these different jobs to to apply for, another thing that was also happening in my life at that time, that law of attraction universe telling you things or sending you signs and and you just have to really pay attention. So during that moment, I happened to, to read articles, watch documentaries, hear things, see things in different places that were all speaking to the fact that we're all born with natural skills, talents, and abilities. But through our educational experience, starting you know in, in kindergarten all the way up through high school and maybe for some people onto college, we're, all, we're, we're taught to kind of walk away from what we're naturally skilled or very good at doing. And so when I started that period of self-reflection, I started thinking, well, what is it that I'm naturally very good at? And it was organizing. And, you know, Jesse, I think, mentioned being the smartest person in the room. And that's actually not true. I've always excelled at things that I've done in the past because I was very organized. And so I didn't know it, but there was this organization called the National Association of Professional Organizers. Who knew? I just happened to go online and I stumbled across that organization. And literally, that's how the company started. I remember going to Office Depot and buying the the Avery business card template packet where you can just put it in your inkjet printer and make up some business cards and print them. And that's what I did. That's literally how I started. And I, I would go to different networking events, chamber of commerce events, and just network. And that's how it, it started. What I noticed was in that first year in 2005, that first full year of business, most of the clients that I worked with, it wasn't that they were chronically disorganized people. And they certainly were not hoarders. They all, I would say the majority of them happened to be entrepreneurs or small business owners operating these home-based businesses. And they were having difficulty keeping their personal life, the rest of the house, separate from the business needs. And so they just needed a process or a system. It wasn't enough to just make it functionally or, excuse me, aesthetically look good it had to be functional and there needed to be a system to make sure that if things ever did become chaotic again, they knew that they had a system that they could fall back on to get things in place all over again. And and over the years, it shifted from professional organizing to business infrastructure and, and that operations management piece. Okay, Alicia, before we, we, we dive into what that means in operations for people, I have to ask you, how did you identify or develop a price point for your time and services at those early stages? Oh, that is, oh, that is my Achilles heel. <laughs> Pricing has always been my number one issue, but I can tell you what I did. I, I, I did a lot of comparative analysis in the beginning. So thankfully, because there was a professional organization for that, the organizing industry, I was able to leverage a lot of information that, that the industry itself provided. So that's how I knew where I, where to start pricing my services. I would also look at what other organizers were charging. And that's, I use that as a, a benchmark or as a guide for my initial pricing. Over the years, I've honestly, and, and I know Jesse has a lot of experience working with different government organizations, but I, I had to rely on the SBDC. I did go through that program very early on in my business. They also helped me quite a bit in coming up with the pricing model for the company, especially as it started to shift away from like traditional organizing and more into really understanding okay, the mechanics and the operations of what's going on in a company. And I think that's a great tip, you know, for those folks who don't know about federal programs like the Small Business Development Centers or Women's Business Centers. I mean, that's free assistance. You get a one-on-one support at no cost. Your tax dollars pay for it. All these programs can be found at, on sba.gov website. So I'm glad to hear that you're able to tap into that resource. Like, yes. You know, Lisa, I'm, I'm just so fascinated by, you know, I mean, there is so much buzz around kind of organization. I mean, you know, speaking of Netflix, you had, you know, folks like Marie Kondo, you know, becoming prolific. And but what is the difference between 
that type of, of personal organization and, and versus business organization. And where do you begin when you first encounter a new client? Say you're working with like a, a Sid Varakura, right? Maybe someone who has some oh, challenges. That's a terrible that's, idea. You know, that's right. a, that's she will she could never have any other client, Jesse. It would just I, be all hey, in. I'm just using an example, you know, out there. But how would you approach someone becoming organized? Sure. So with Marie Kondo, and what you will find with most organizers is that they organize things. So they don't normally organize a home office. So you'll find them in a closet, bedrooms, garages, basements. But have you ever seen Marie Kondo really get into someone's home office? Someone who's operating a business from that home office. And there's a difference. So, you know, and this is no shade to Marie Kondo because I I am a fan of her work. So, for example, if you watch one of her shows on one of the episodes on Netflix, it's about what brings you joy, right? So if you're looking at a pile of clothing, well, Sid, does this t-shirt really bring you joy? Does it spark joy? And you know, you it's cute and fun, right? But when you're in your home office that you operate a business out of, and let's say we're going through a stack of papers, and I'm like, well, Sid, does this letter from the IRS, does it bring you joy? Does it spark joy? No, it doesn't. But guess what? You have to deal with it anyway. You can't just toss it off to the side. You can't just shred it. You have to look at it. You have to really think about it. Am I being asked to respond to this letter? Do I need to scan it before I shred it? Do I need to file it away into an actual paper filing system? It's way more complicated. And so to answer the second part of your question, how do I normally approach working with with these clients, most of my clients, they're not startups. These are existing businesses, and they're growing very rapidly. Startups don't typically have an appreciation for the kind of work that I do, because it's always about the sales and the marketing. And it makes sense, right? When you're first starting out, you need to get the word out about your product or your service. For example, when you first start your podcast, you obviously have to hit the ground running when it comes to the the PR and the branding and the marketing, the promotion, the social media. But what happens when you start to realize a return on the investment of your time and dollars in your sales and marketing related activities? You might have a different type of problem. Now you might have more business than you can handle. That's when you realize, oh, crap. I need to take a look at what's going on in my back office to make sure that I can still meet the the demands of my customers in terms of being able to still deliver products and services without compromising the quality. So when I first start working or talking to one of these businesses, it's literally asking them, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? I think that's so fascinating because of, you know, Sydney and I, we actually do work on disaster resiliency and preparedness. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that work is actually helping people understand what is essential to them. And I've always been very surprised that people really struggle with that. They don't really know what is the thing I need to keep my eye on. And now I realize that people just need a lot of help. They need help from folks like you to really understand and distill down, hey, you know, this is something you need to start tracking. And either they're choosing not to, or they just don't know that they should be tracking certain things or even understanding their own processes. But when it comes to preparedness, say in the event of a crisis, if people don't have their stuff together, it can lead to massive chaos and disturbance for, you know, for their business. And even in some cases, you know, end up in the failure of the business. So we really think that the work you're doing in helping to educate and train people is critical. It's critical to their long-term survival. I, I think so. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm curious, Alicia, as you shared about how, the types of businesses you're, you work with are not those startups where they're in full-on sales marketing mode, but the ones that have are a little bit more established, they have clients and they're finding themselves getting a little overwhelmed. And that's when they realize they need you know, to be think more thoughtfully and intentionally about their operations and organization. So when do they call you? 
Do they call you because they've lost a client because they were overwhelmed? Do they call you when they're at the tipping point of like, oh my gosh, I'm about to drown? Like, when's that point that they call you? And when would you like them to call you? I would like them to call me when they're starting up. <laughs> okay. But that doesn't happen. And, and I, if I may, just to speak on startups again, just really quickly, the startups that I, I have worked with tend to be funded. So a lot of times it's, it's, it's the tech companies, it's the tech startups, and they're funded. So there's the expectation for them to ramp up and scale very quickly. And so it's not even a question of what's the value in this. They know they have to do it. Going back to the existing companies, unfortunately, Sid and Jesse, the work that I do and, and referring to it as business infrastructure, it's a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing in the sense that there aren't a lot of people out there talking about it. So there isn't a significant amount of competition. It's a curse in the sense that there aren't a lot of people out there talking about it. And so people are experiencing these pain points, many of which you already identified, Sid. They experience these pain points, but they don't know where to go for help, for support. So it could be any of the above reasons that you just stated. It could be that they're starting to lose a lot of clients or customers. It could be that employee turnover is significantly high. I've had clients who have failed an audit of some sort if they're in an, an industry that is heavily regulated. And a lot of times part of that auditing, part of the audit is looking at processes, looking at your operations, making sure that you are who you say you are and that you can deliver. And if you aren't able to prove that in the way that they, in the form that they want to see that proof, you will be cited and fined. And and again, that's another threat to shutting down your, your business altogether. So it's a number of reasons. A lot of times people are referred to me most recently, though, I would say over the past two to three years, it's been because of things I've posted on social media. And I've had to learn it's not enough to just write words. Pictures and imagery are so important to the line of work that I do. Because if I just use words to describe a chaotic situation in a fast growing company, no one's going to read it. But if I associate an image with it, where, you know, I'll never forget one of the first images I ever put up on a LinkedIn post showed a guy inside of a box. And he's desperately, he's obviously way too big to be inside of this box, but it, it struck a nerve for a lot of people. They're like, oh my gosh, that's exactly how I feel. Mm -hmm. How do I contact you? <laughs> so so social media has gone a long way in in providing a platform for me to be able to get the word out about what I do. There's so much to ask you about like that social media concept, because a lot of entrepreneurs, I think, could learn a lot from just that story alone. But before we get there, you do have your own framework for how you do this. And I was wondering if you could just share with us a little bit more about that. Sure. So the framework consists of seven elements. And the first is really a prerequisite to the other six. And that first element is all about defining what work needs to be performed. So the very first exercise, I don't care what type of company you're in, what industry, how large or how small your company is, we're going to go through the very rigorous exercise in determining all of the activities to perform in your company, no matter how complex or how mundane, whether it's something you do every day, every week, every month, every quarter annually, whatever. It's, it's a massive brain dump. And the reason I take people through that exercise is because that exercise ultimately provides the foundation for how you create the other elements of your business infrastructure. So in identifying all of those activities, you're then able to figure out how to group them into departments and then once you've grouped them into departments, you can then identify in a perfect world if you had access to all of the resources that you could possibly have, who ideally should perform these different tasks? And once you do that, you now have the basis for creating very succinct job descriptions that are a lot more transparent and a lot more robust. 
So the next element, once you have that in place, again, that's your foundation. The next element is creating your, your organizational chart. I like to think of organizational charts, excuse me, as vision board. So don't just put what your company looks like today. Draft that, that vision board, that organizational chart based on what your company is going to look like a year from now three years from now. And that's what you can actually share with other people and say, hey, you know what? I, I really could use an executive assistant. Let me show you a copy of my company's organizational chart. And there's, I'm telling you, I've seen it time and time again. There's something very magical about being able to show some type of illustration or a diagram to other people. Again, you could verbalize it all day long, but once you show them that image, it clicks and they're like, oh, you know what? I actually do know someone. Two of the other elements have to do with your records management systems. So how are you storing and archiving and maintaining your digital records, your physical records? Another element is how you actually lay out your physical workspace. Even if you are a sole proprietor, just working in your home office, set up different zones. Remember those departments I mentioned at the beginning of the exercise, set up different zones. So you might have one corner of your room that's dedicated to marketing. Another corner may be dedicated to accounting, another to, to HR related activities. The point is to start getting in that mindset of keeping having a home for each quote unquote department. And then the last two elements have to do with your processes. So now that you know the departments, you know the activities to perform within each department and who ideally should perform those activities. That's the basis for understanding what processes have to be documented within each department. And that's what ultimately all of those elements combined help establish a foundation that's going to allow you to replicate your company over and over again. I love that it is bite-sized. So that in many ways, right, just even thinking of the concept be can become overwhelming, but the way you've just really easily compartmentalized, if you will, like all the different components, so they're bite-sized and you can actually do them, it really has helped me even think about like how it's no longer an overwhelming concept. And you have a name for this formula, for this framework, yes. right? Can you share yes. that and, and what it means? It's it's Kasinu, and it's actually the the amalgamation or the combination of two ancient Egyptian words. So ka means spirit, and then sinu means twin or like clone or similitude. So the idea is to replicate the spirit or the essence of what makes your company so great wow. in the first place. Mm. Brilliant. That's oh, great. It, it all, it's it, I mean, it, I don't know if it's, it, it sounds so familiar because of some of what we do around the preparedness work, like the mapping and the determining the essential, even the roles and responsibilities. But I think where, at least where you really take into this different place and just maybe think like of our own, you know, opportunity to maybe fit in something new there is the idea of actually writing the, the description of what the person mm -hmm. should be doing in order to implement that particular process or do that type of work. I mean, that for me is the next level. That's the next level thing for a firm where you have so many people struggling. They have, they struggle to determine what do I, what kind of person do I need for my firm if yes. I'm looking to add on someone? Well, if you start with understanding what is essential first and the dependencies and then do this description from there, that'll just make your life a whole lot easier. So I love that. That's amazing. Yes, that's that's such a good point, Jesse, because we'll just open up our computer, open up a Word document and just start type, okay, we need a job description. But what work really needs to be done? And if I if it's okay, I'd like to share another resource. So a great resource is the Dictionary of Occupational Titles. So a lot of times we struggle with, okay, well, is it an accountant? Is it a CPA? Or do I need a bookkeeper? What's the differences between those three people? And, and as we all know, there's a big difference, especially when it comes to pay. So, but a lot of times we don't know. And that's a great resource. It's, it's an online tool. You can even go to the public library. Well, you know, we're still in the pandemic, so, <laughs> but you can definitely search the database online, but Hopefully, you know, once we can get the get things 
somewhat back to normal and people can frequent their local libraries again, that's an excellent resource. And librarians can definitely help you with that kind of information. Well, I definitely appreciate you sharing that resource, but we understand that you have your own book where you're providing some Yes. Can you share some information about your book? Yes. Thank you. It's called Behind the Facade. And the subtitle is How to Structure Company Operations for Sustainable Success. So it is a true how-to book. So everything that I just talked about in terms of the elements of business infrastructure and that framework, each chapter breaks down exactly how you can do it, but it isn't in a the typical boring, mundane textbook kind of way. It's told in the form of story. So for example, the very first story involves a lady, a, a middle-aged woman named Emily Miller. She's in Washington, D.C. She's a socialite. She started this nonprofit organization and she got wind that the board is going to replace her. Even though she founded the organization, you know, the board can replace her. And so she's frantic. And the reason is because they said, you know, she she could get it here, but she can't take it there. And so she meets up with a consultant. He introduces this Kasinu framework to her. And the very first thing that they go through is trying to figure out all of those different activities that need to be performed and so it, it walks you through it. But again, it's in the form of a, of a story. And these stories are represent somewhere between four to six actual clients that I've worked with. So a lot of times when people read it, they're thinking, oh, my gosh, this sounds exactly like me. And it's like, well, I didn't just completely make these up. These are actually based off of experiences that some of my clients have actually had. What I love about that is I have a three-year-old, so a little bit older than Amber, and uh, that was, <laughs> and uh, I mean, like all the child rearing books that are done from a theoretical perspective, like you're like, yeah, right. That please let me tell you how it works in the real world. Right. And like those quickly just got like closed, like after the baby was born. Right. I mean, like you start reading those before he's born and then he's there and you're like, yeah, no. But so what I do, what I hear about your book is that it's several hero journeys and I think the yes. hero journey is what we can all relate to at some, you know, level in our in our own lives. Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Sid, because I literally studied. Oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but he's the person who wrote. He he wrote about the hero's journey. That's literally the name of the book. You know who I'm talking about? Is his last name Camp Campbell? What's his name? Gosh, I'm drawing a blank. Um, but I studied him because I learned that George Lucas basically studied his uh, work, yes. and that's what enabled him to come up with Star Wars. Yeah. See, we're, we're there. <laughs> I'm shocked Sid doesn't know the answer right away, because he's a big Star Wars George junkie. George Campbell? Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell. Okay, yes. And the yes. hero's journey. And it's, it's amazing. It totally. really is. Well, it made me uh, just see how you're describing the book reminds me of the E-Myth, the E-Myth book. Yes, yeah, yes. Right? Okay, so I always tell people the E-Myth is a great primer to warm you up to the idea of why processes and systems are important. But if you notice, Jesse, the E-Myth doesn't tell you exactly how to do these things. Right. So my book p picks up where the E-Myth drops you off, basically. I love it. Yeah, that's great. For, you know... I, for the more sophisticated business, right, where maybe they think they have it all together, they're doing everything correct. How do you then enter, engage with that type of client, you know, where they really feel like, hey, you're just here to optimize, right? But then when maybe when you start working with them, you're realizing, okay, things aren't quite as safe and secure as they might think. What do you do in that situation? Or how do you start engaging with that kind of larger, more established firm? So I've worked with companies like Coca-Cola, for example. What I will say is no one that I've ever worked with so far in, in almost 16 years in business, no one is, they're, they're not under the illusion that there aren't problems. And I, I want people to understand that we look at these very large organizations and we think they're invincible, right? We think that they don't have certain issues, but they do. They're, and they're, at, they're on a much larger scale, <laughs> So, so they're never under the illusion that they're because they wouldn't reach out otherwise if there wasn't an issue. They may not know the extent to how bad something is until I get in there and really start digging. 
And I always tell people, this is like looking into a mirror. You might not like what you see, but we have to address it. It's better that you know, because when you come from a place of knowing, we can then map out a plan to address everything. But if you just, you know, if you know it's there, you just kind of want to sweep it under the rug, I can't work with you. Hmm. So, so yes, most people, they aren't under the illusion. And they, I think because I do put myself out there so much in terms of online marketing, when people do come to me, by the time they do pick up the phone and actually reach out to me and we have a conversation a level of trust has already, I know this is going to sound really weird, but a level of trust has already somewhat been established because they may have seen a video on YouTube. They may have read a post on LinkedIn. They may have listened to a podcast and somehow they now feel that they know you. And if they know you, they feel, you know, that kind of gives you a leg up in terms of the trust factor and they reveal it all. Trust me. <laughs> Before any NDAs are even signed, they're just kind of bearing their souls. And so, yes, most people, they're not under the illusion that there isn't a problem. So, okay, this is a great way to talk more about social media because you shared earlier about social media and visuals that really help connect people. But then now even just talking more about how people are engaging with you through social media. And and by that, I don't mean they necessarily are following or talking to you on social media, but they clearly are feeling connected to you on social media before you have that first phone call. So how much time do you spend on social media? And if you were, you know, I mean, I think you've, you're really great, uh, bringing forward a great case for why entrepreneurs should be on social media and be talking. But it, uh, to me, I think it's both how much time and what you do on social media. Because like just doing social media, you could be talking about anything and everything and actually not creating a story uh, arc for yourself. But you seem to have figured out how to do that. Correct. And it's been through much trial and error as with anything else in business, right? So LinkedIn, for example, I've been on LinkedIn since it started. And I had a love-hate relationship over the years with LinkedIn, but I would say I just started to really be very active over the past three years on LinkedIn. But I'm trying to think, how can I, I give a Cliff Notes version of, of what I do regarding social media? So I do have a team of people that I work with. Every Sunday, Sundays are my days to catch up on reading. So I subscribe, I have a Google alert set up. So for example, one for those who are listening, and if you aren't familiar with it, that's another excellent resource. If instead of it, it basically does the work for you. So every morning I receive a, a daily digest of articles pertaining to the topics that I want to read about fast growth and small business and operations processes and small business. You, you kind of get the point, right? It sends me this daily digest. I read all of those on Sunday. And then I just start to cherry pick, hey, you know, these are things that I think would be worthwhile uh, to tweet about. And I have a template that, that I created. And that information goes to my social media manager. I also will tell her, hey, Marie, I've, you know, I'm going to be on the Hack My Business podcast and it went live. This is the link. And so she has all of that information when it comes to LinkedIn, though, I keep LinkedIn very close to me. <laughs> so I, I do my own post on LinkedIn. I post every single, every morning because I'm, I'm a morning person. I'm up somewhere between three and four o'clock every morning. Now, on Sundays, <laughs> that's when I do my best thinking. And I also know that if I'm up that early, the phone isn't going to ring unless there's an emergency. Emails aren't going to be coming through. There aren't distractions. I do my best thinking very early in the morning. So by the time 12 o'clock noon rolls around, I'm like, what was is Was it the Marines? They've worked. They've already worked a full day by the time it's 12 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like a Marine. OK, so I've already worked a full eight hours. Right. But it works for me. And I think everybody, you, you, you know what your peak times of day are in terms of performance. And it's different for everybody. I know a lot of tech people, 
they work really well very late at night. A lot of creatives are the same way. So it's just finding out where you work best. And I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. <laughs> you were talking about your the posts and you know how you... Oh, yes. Like- thank you. Thank you. So I should probably back up a little bit. I have a desktop calendar, old school, analog, right? That I get at Staples, $4.99. And every month I come up with a theme. What's the theme for this month? The theme for this month is Women's History Month. We're we're doing this recording in March. So the theme is Women's History Month. But the theme is also internally about Clubhouse. And so that I use that theme as a guide for all of the online content that we will tweet about, put on Facebook, LinkedIn, talk about on Clubhouse, for example, as well as Instagram. It's just a guide. We don't always, every single post doesn't necessarily say something about the fact that it's Women's History Month, but if nothing else, it's a guide. It's also a guide for how to structure the newsletter, the monthly newsletter. And so so there's something that I'm doing from a planning perspective at the beginning of the month, but then there's also the weekly activities, but I primarily use Sundays to plan all of that out. And then I just send it to people and they help post things about it. They help create the visuals, the images. When it comes to LinkedIn, LinkedIn is a micro blog. Don't write two or three sentences and think everybody's just going to be, oh my God, that was the greatest thing ever. Take advantage of the fact that they give you, I think it's up to 1200 characters that you can write in a post. Take advantage of that because it's all searchable. When people do a search online outside of LinkedIn and they're looking for information about a specific topic, your LinkedIn posts very well may come up in the top 10 of their search. People don't think about that. When you put together an image, make sure that image is tagged. Make sure that image doesn't just say IMG-6589 and it's a JPEG. Okay, that's searchable. (laughs) But instead, if I put Sid and Jesse underscore hack my business podcast underscore business infrastructure for fast growing small businesses. Oh, again, if someone goes into Bing or Google or Yahoo and they're searching and they specifically want an image, our image will appear. So these are just some little tips and tricks, and it takes a while to do all of this. It's work. If it was easy, more people would be doing it. But I just have to to ask your audience to trust me that if you do this consistently, and I'll say for at least six months, you will definitely start to gain some traction, hmm. particularly on LinkedIn, if that's where your audience is, if you're B2B. I think Alicia's dropping master of knowledge right now. You know, just you know, <laughs> it, the, everything you just shared in the last you know, few minutes has been gold. And, and I think it's just so interesting that as those tools have evolved, you yourself have had to evolve and think about the best use of them. And I think you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. I mean, LinkedIn is that kind of micro blog, but you know, the, those tips and tricks, you know, to change the image, um, the file name, you know, so that mm-hmm. you appear in the search. I mean, that's just brilliant. I mean, you can obviously sit, tell, you know, the planning, right. And it, but it also, <laughs> one of my main takeaways is that you're essentially not, you're not going to say fine point detail. You're not, you're not going to that kind of obsessive level, but you're creating a framework for say the month yes. or the week, right. That allows you to be nimble and that you yourself are delegating part of that work to somebody else, you know, so you're not the one doing the actual posting except for LinkedIn. Right. You, you already understood that you have someone that needs to occupy a certain role, you know, based on your expertise and you're leaning on them to do that actual work, which is probably going to take it away if you're doing it from other tasks that you need to do for a certain client. So it, it's exactly. all amazing. My takeaway is that from these last 55 minutes is that Alicia never put Amber down. Oh, Amber, like cradled Amber like a baby. 
for 55 minutes. She's so quiet. She's a good I, I, baby. I want her to <laughs> pet it. But before, I, I want to talk about the creepiness because we got to talk about the creepy stuff. Okay. Yeah, uh, we go. We, it is worth time to talk I, about I, want, I, want, I want Alicia to talk a little bit about her podcast and then maybe in the last few minutes we can talk about the good stuff, the creepy stuff. So, Alicia, would you mind sharing a little bit about your podcast because it is amazing? Sure, sure. It's called the Business Infrastructure Podcast and the subtitle is Curing Back Office Blues. And the whole point of it is to address the issue we talked about toward the beginning of this episode, and that is the fact that people are struggling in the chaos and they don't know where to go. So this podcast is a weekly podcast, and every week a different guest comes on and shares specific tools, tips, tricks, strategies, resources that they've used to address a particular problem in their business. And each guest is actually, I say it's a requirement. I don't tell them it's a requirement, but we get it out of them essentially. But every guest is really encouraged to leave at least three resources that they recommend. And we're very good about placing links to all of those resources in the show notes. So that again, if you may not be going through a particular issue that a guest happens to talk about last week, but maybe three or four months from now, you may need to go back to that 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 particular episode. And it's great and very convenient to be able to go to that particular web page on the website and click through to some of the professional organizations that a person may have recommended, books, other podcasts, videos, the list goes on. But the point is to build up this knowledge base for small business owners to specifically address their operations. So Alicia, resources, tips, name of our podcast is Hack My Business. Mm -hmm. So is there one hack that you would like to share with our listeners? Oh, there's so many, but I'll tell you what I'm hooked on right now. It's called Notion. Have you guys heard of it? No. Oh, okay. One day we'll have to set up a like a Zoom call or something where I can do a screen share. But Notion, we have replaced, and I this is no exaggeration, we were using a combination of Dropbox, SharePoint, and Google Drive to store our documents, digital documents. It was a nightmare. Notion has replaced all three. At a fraction of the cost, Notion is $4 per user per month. What? That's it. Whoa. Exactly. <laughs> and it is basically a wiki. So I'm getting all of my clients now to start keeping their processes on Notion is very visual. Imagine being able to build essentially an internal website for your company. You can have links to different forms that you have. You can have your podcast schedule. You can build out a page just for your for the Hack My Business podcast where you would have your production schedule. You would have... Any other information pertaining to the podcast would be there and you would decide who you would want to have full access to that page or maybe who would just only have view only access. It's an amazing tool. I highly recommend that everybody who's listening to this look into it. It's it's a game changer. Hmm, that sounds great. We'll definitely have to, to look into that. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Okay, in the, in the time we have left... Okay. With the baby still in the room. And so, you know, when Elise and I first really connected, she told me this terrifying story about uh, a business travel experience she had to L.A. involving a, a famous downtown L.A. hotel. And Lisa, why don't you give us just a quick a taste of sure. the experience? And it was a podcast conference. I was in L.A. right before the lockdown. Right before the lockdown, I, I was in L.A., I was at this, again, very famous old hotel, beautiful hotel, and I I knew something was wrong when, uh, you know, a psychic, I, I happened to meet a celebrity psychic, and she said, you know, this place is haunted, right? And I was like, really? Huh, interesting. Good food for thought. You know, didn't think anything else of it. And later that night, literally at the strike of midnight, I hear a faint knock on the door. And all of a sudden, the room turned frigid. I could not warm up to save my life. And as the hours went on, 
it's hard to describe, but it, it was literally like as, as though something was trying to take the life force out of me. I wasn't coughing. I wasn't, I didn't have, you know, sinus congestion, nothing like that. It was just this feeling of being completely drained of any energy that you thought you could muster up. And um, so I shared that story with Jesse. And literally the moment I arrived back at LAX to fly home to Atlanta, it ended. My energy came back. So there was something about that hotel. There was a lot more creepy stuff that happened, but that's the gist of what went down in February of 2020 in downtown L.A. And listeners, let me tell you that when Alicia was telling me the story, I did a search online and it turns out that if you actually look at the name of the hotel and the floor she stayed on, known for being haunted. And so it was a terrifying experience, Sid. The look on Sid's you. face is, is priceless. <laughs> I can't. I'm going I have I mean like like I can't watch anything more haunting like than like the office. Like I if just hearing stories like that will give me nightmares for weeks. <laughs> well I'm glad I didn't go into any details. <laughs> me too. But Sid, you know what's even more scarier than creepy rooms, floors, and babies is being disorganized. Indeed. So it was, yeah, indeed. Alicia, we're, we're so thankful to have you on our show and sharing your wisdom, covering everything from understanding what is essential and mapping who are key stakeholders and understanding what are the right roles and responsibilities for members of your team. And also just your, your thoughts around social media and how to be more effective and using those tools. And, and even the sheer opportunity the entrepreneurs have to engage with clients, with, with others through those mediums when they might not be as comfortable, but they really should be thinking about, you know, adopt, adopting practices to use those tools to really grow their business. So we really appreciate uh, you coming on the show and sharing your thoughts. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your platform with me. I really appreciate it. Alicia, where can we find you and what's next? The best place to find me is my personal website, and that is AliciaButlerPierre.com. It serves as a hub for everything that I'm into. So from there, you can get a link to the podcast, the book, my consulting company, as well as all of my social media profiles. And what's next for me is uh, working on my TED Talk. All right. Well, we're going to be all tuning in for that. So thank you, Alicia. <laughs> thank you. If you need help and want to be a part of our community and find resources to grow your business, join us at our website at smallbusinessfront.com. We'd love to see you there. Have a great day and we'll catch you next time on Hack My Business.